Hello and welcome back. This is the 45th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. My guest this month is Copenhagen-based DJ and producer Anastasia Christensen. Born and raised in Russia, Anastasia moved to Denmark when she was a teenager. Finding it hard to adapt to her new life in a rural part of the country, she went online, finding solace in her favorite music forums, where she found not only music, but a community. Turning to music as an escape became a kind of ritual that she went back to again and again, the connection only deepening when she started DJing. In this conversation, Anastasia and I look back at those early days as an outsider, finding her identity as an artist, and how music was and continues to be the best escape. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a long time. We've been trying to organize this, so I'm happy we're finally finding a moment. I am too. Thank you for the invite. So we've chosen this topic of music as escapism, which is something that really interests me, and I think it resonates a lot with people, especially in the dance music community. So I'd love to know a bit more about what you're listening to these days that helps you escape reality in some way, um, whether that's like electronic music or not. So music is definitely uh, something that helps me to daydream, but also get new ideas for my own music and also process certain feelings or situations that I'm going through. And it's always been like that. I think at the moment I'm really into some kind of dreamy indie stuff and mostly soundtracks from different shows, TV Mm -hmm. shows and movies that I uh, come across. Mm -hmm. I can't say that I have like dedicated playlists or... uh, certain um you know structure in the way i listen to music or discover it i really like following online communities created on vk.com which is pretty much russian facebook because that platform allows dedicated creations of different playlists and discussions where people can gather and submit different music uh so i sometimes just check certain channels you can call you can call it Uh um and yeah i would say Generally, it's more of um, like slower, melancholic, ambient stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, uh, since we're going back to gigs, I also do check promos as much as I can. Mm. Uh, also, ch- to just both get an idea and inspiration. And what was the what was the website that you that you mentioned? It's called vk.com. Okay. And, uh, I'm not affiliated with them, but <laughs> it's just quite convenient, and you can also create a free profile there and it's also available in English I just really like uh, the combination of social media and kind of Spotify 
mindset mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. Also, the suggestion tool they have is also pretty good. Not like YouTube where you suddenly end up in like Solomon's Boiler Room. Yeah, yeah. What is it about ambient or melancholy music that helps you escape? To be honest, I think it's a quite simple and maybe a bit predictable answer, but because the world has has gone way too fast again, especially with, you know, the ideas of that COVID is gone, we've done all the effort now, now we're back into the full-on post-consumerism world again. And I think in a way it's got even worse than it was before. You know, I'm predicting, uh, you know, short attention span world and it's already happening. And this music helps me settle a bit in my own presence and take a breath and listen to all seven minutes rather than... Mm -hmm skip to the main part, you know, right, right, right. Uh, the bass drops and here we go, bunkers, everyone goes crazy. Uh, I've lived that life also before pandemic and I know that I have these moments of, you know, this rushed and crazy, uh, hectic lifestyle, uh, which I also enjoy. But when I'm on my own and I need to, you know, reflect on things, I think this music is perfect because it doesn't really rush you anywhere. Also, there is just aesthetic parts of, you know, of, of a beautiful, rich synth, of a good delay uh, instrument uh, or effect instrument. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, there's just this aesthetic part that I like. And you can also hear it in my recent productions. Mm. So that's where I, I think I really connect with, uh, with that type of tunes. I've been doing some reading about the different ways that people perceive escapism in terms of music. And I found some interesting perspectives. Like some people say that it helps them to feel just like, more connected to their emotions like usually in their life they feel like a bit divorced from their feelings so this is a good way to connect to that and then some other people say that it's more entertainment like the same thing as watching a film and then other people say it's just more of a calming feeling which I get the, the sense it's more of a calming feeling for you yeah it's uh it's more like a calm down sort of thing uh, mm. rela relaxation uh, and more therapeutic um, approach so do you think that your relationship to music or escapist music has evolved as you've gotten older like obviously you know the problems or the issues that you're trying to escape from when, when you were younger are different than they are now but maybe the way that you use music has changed I think I started going more into depth with with music I listen to not just you know for my own kind of like relaxation time but also when I try to make a research of what's going on, generally I've just, I've, as you say, I've matured and I just go more into depth rather than a quantity. Uh, I guess mm -hmm. it's a pretty natural development for many people, but I guess pandemic has just uh, accelerated this whole process of, uh, of dwelling and going into depth with things rather than uh, just consuming uh, mindlessly, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, for me, I don't feel like my interaction with music in that sense has really evolved that much like I think I still do the same rituals around music that I used to do when I was younger listening to the same track over and over again until I'm like really sick of it listening to really melancholy music when I'm sad or things like that do you have those kind of rituals that you perform when you're like feeling a certain way and you turn to music I definitely can recognize the idea of <laughs> listening to something on repeat because there is a certain song or a track that just appeals to you and to mm. this certain uh, situation i think i actually in a way listen less to music but when i listen it's just more of a quality listening as mm. i mentioned like i started thinking more about processing my emotions i also started thinking about how this track was made whereas before for me it was really just the oral picture you know oh this has this mood this is happy mm. this is unhappy. Mm -hmm. 
is rave. This is after hours, you know. Mm. Um, today I'm more like, yeah, I don't know how would you say nerdy, <laughs> but that also means that when I think about tracks and I have a active thinking process about music, it also leaves less space for more music. Instead of you know ten tracks a day, it would be maybe five. But I thought more about it. I also will remember it better next time for my uh, playlist selection uh, for the gigs because mm-hmm. I've listened to the track more carefully. Uh, so I think this would be the main change and the main kind of shift for me and I think it really really goes in hand with the idea of maturing and taking it slower because the world went slower and kind of philosophical uh, part of music yeah it's interesting what you said about being more technically observant I've interviewed some producers who say that they can't really listen to music in the same relaxed sort of way because they're always thinking about how is this made or like how is that sound made so are you finding that it's hard to relax when you're when you're having that sort of technical mindset i don't know i think um when i'm producing something uh and as a producer i go to production with uh usually with some sort of ideas then that's where my technical brain really is active but um you know if i'm in a in a gathering where i hear something nice i would i usually just enjoy the beauty of it so Mm. it's not that my uh production brain is is on all the time in fact i wish it was because maybe i would make more more tracks <laughs> but i am just like I, i'm truly appreciator of music you know mm-hmm. in your sense and uh i can't i can't for example start a day without setting something on a beat nts radio or mm-hmm. uh, a favorite mix on soundcloud that's probably my go-to uh, way of, of starting the musical journey of the day <laughs> Uh, for me, it's it's definitely it's, it's extremely important that there is music playing, and then I can choose how I'm gonna dip into it. I think my uh, my way of thinking technically of it comes uh, um, to that time where I'm producing. That's where I'm I'm extremely focused on, like you know, what instruments people have used and how do I recreate this hi hat, for example, or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk a bit about your relationship to music when you were growing up like what were your early interests in music like and when did those interests kind of shift to being more of a necessity rather than just something you liked yeah I think it's something I realize now looking back but I wasn't even aware of that back then I moved to Denmark when I was 14, when I was 14 and I moved from a big city uh, Moscow to a rural place actually first before Copenhagen and for me, music was literally the only way to like get some kind of affirmation and ideas of, of, of aesthetics and beauty because I moved to a rural area and I didn't speak a language and mm. it was quite a tough time because kids are quite mean when, when they're 13, 14 of and you know, living in a rural countryside also is a very different type of mentality comparing to someone who comes from the capital mm-hmm. so you know for me, so i started digging like i would say weird tunes uh which you know basically were detroit uh techno stuff and early warp records and for me it, it, it was kind of formating like what i would like later on mm-hmm. i just really uh resonated with the mood because if you listen to let's say lfo uh, shut down it's an extremely emotional track and it's like there's like scream screamings and you know lots of shouting in that mm. track 
kind of rough sounds. And that would translate a lot into my experiences that I had as a teenager because I struggled to immigrate at first. You know, I didn't know how to really find the common language with others and not everyone was good in English and I was already. Um, so it's, you know, for me, it was a perfect kind of like um, a way to find the common language. It was, it was literally with tracks out yeah. there. And the way I found them was also like uh, either a library or like vk.com already was existing, you know, and I didn't really know what was what, you know, I didn't really have a background of things that I was digging. I started learning that much later, but at first I was just listening to the emotion from the music. And now I look back at the old playlist I, I, I was having and it's like all of it is just really, really like ravey, rough and very emotional music when I think about it. Also, you can add industrial and like industrial pop rock, like Nine Inch Nails and mm-hmm. Ministry and, you know, Skinny Puppy and stuff like that. And so when you say that that was your way to find a common language, did you find a group of friends that was also into the same music as you? Or was it more of like an online thing, just something that kind of kept you safe when you were at home, whereas like the rest of the world was a bit hard for you? And then finding music on the Internet and things like that was more of a safe place? I would say, uh, yes, it was more of an internet thing. It was more uh, just me uh, nerding things. And there was a couple of online people. I don't know where they are and who they are <laughs> right now. Uh, because I didn't really connect with, uh, with the music of, of rural Denmark in 2006 and 2007. <laughs> uh, what was that like? <laughs> well, you know, how would you describe that? It's more like a Brit pop, but more like Danish pop sort of way. And there is maybe. <laughs> yeah, there is lots of cool stuff, you know, and it was also a very different era from today uh, and also different format. It was a lot radio-based, it was a lot of concerts, you know, local small concerts. We didn't have TikTok, we didn't have Spotify back then. We barely had Facebook. I think Facebook just entered European market. So imagine the consuming of music back then was completely different, uh, but I still didn't connect with it back then. I would say I was, uh, maybe it was a mistake in order to immigrate better that I would I should have participated a bit more because then I could maybe connect better to others. But at the same time, I just was so true to my taste, which still am, but uh, I just didn't see a necessity. Why would I, why would I learn something about music with a language that I didn't learn yet? And then of course, later on it, it came and I started understanding and most of young people consume the same music as any other Western Europe country would have. Lots of American influences, American pop music, a lot of UK pop music, I guess that part didn't really change because mm-hmm. these two music markets are quite dominating in Western Europe. So, um, yeah, it, it was kind of like parallel words. I would go to school, I would start learning the language, I would start, you know, uh, trying to integrate. But then I had this kind of escape without even knowing it. Like, I didn't describe it back then as an escapism. It was just a thing I did. It was definitely great that I had an access to that and... Thank, thank God we had internet back then. You know? <laughs> so I think that most kids go through this outsider feeling at some point, especially for immigrant kids who kind of have to uproot their lives and they move to this new place. And then when they go back to their home, they also feel like an outsider there because they've been spending all this time in a different country. Um, so what was that like for you, kind of feeling this outsider mentality? I was highly aware that I was an immigrant and that I had a lot to learn and that there is a huge cultural kind of like gap that I was having uh, next to everyone I went to school with. Mm-hmm. At first, I think it was hard and I was uh, struggling understanding like 
how do I approach it? But I think what really was important and still important to highlight is that I still had a positive outlook. I wanted to make it uh, nice for myself. I didn't feel inspired to go back to Moscow. Um, I had quite a troubled dad uh, having alcoholic uh, addiction issues. I didn't really have much other family that I thought would make sense for me to return to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I uh, I had a quite normal life in Russia, but this was a chance for me to maybe build something nice. I still didn't know what what good life is because mm-hmm. as a 14-year-old immigrant, it's really hard to know what kind of life path you're going to go on to. But I, I had this kind of optimism in myself that I will learn the language and I will progress in a way that will make me happy and stand stand out. And also the fact that I come from a very individualistic society, mm-hmm. I think also really drove me to, to keep this optimistic core in myself. In a way, I was aware of that it's hard to immigrate, but I also just knew that somehow I will make it work. I quickly moved to, to the capital as well, where things were happening. So yeah. <laughs> You mentioned this more individualistic mentality that was more prominent in Russia, but I know that there was also, in Denmark, there's more of a kind of collective way of thinking. So how was it for you dealing with that mentality clash? I think I uh, I still sometimes look back and wonder uh, how is it that we can be so different, <laughs> you know. I think it was just a process of understanding the features of the collective of collectivism and collective kind of approach to to, to living uh, what Danes have, and also there is many positive things around it. But at first it was more shocking, you know. When I say shocking, I mean by that is I didn't feel like people around me had any ambition, and I was raised not like that I was raised in a very ambitious family, but it was a general uh, mentality to do, you know, to have an ambition. You need to have a plan for your life already from a very early age, which is also quite, you know, harmful. That's well, that's mm-hmm. another side of, of it. But mm-hmm. with dates, uh, for them, I think uh, having a collective peace at mind and having making sure everyone is, is doing all right around you, that everyone's comfortable... Uh, that was that was really something I couldn't understand for a while. Mm-hmm. Now I can see a huge benefit of it, and that's why their social security system really works and is advanced. And you know, I would pay high tax in order for that to work. But now that I've toured literally the whole world and talked to people about their lives, like living in other countries and other continents, I really start understanding that this collective uh, mindset and um, this kind of like clique-based um, living is is actually also quite beneficial for the comfort of living, you know. But at first it was shocking for me because I felt like everything I wanted was sticking out. It was like a, was it called tall poppy syndrome, I guess, in uh-huh. English. And so I know that you moved to Canada to study and that's when you started actually making music. So how did that influence your reliance on music like did it feel different to be actually working on music and having it as a tool for productivity rather than just something that you were listening to like did that help with your escapism to be able to work on something rather than just be kind of there with your feelings uh, you are from Canada yourself right yes yeah, yeah. so I was in uh in um, a suburb to Toronto in something called Hamilton uh-huh I know it well <laughs> and to be honest uh, that whole stay was just one big adventure and I would say it was 100% escapism, literally everything I was doing there. Mm. I mean, I didn't 
attend so many classes because I just really was curious about North America. And I was kind of, you know, Denmark was not like a closed chapter, but it was time for me in my early 20s. I think I was 20 or 21. It was um, it was time for me to try something completely else, you know. Uh, music, of course, was still a very main part of, of my stay there. I listened a lot to Nine Inch Nails there, like uh-huh. one of the albums. I think Year, was it Year Zero or some other album they've just released at that time when I moved there. I got into DJing by mistake. I was just hanging out with people who had, you know, a DJ set up at home. Hmm. And that's where I think escapism with music part converted into creative uh, side of it. It's mm-hmm. like I started realizing, oh, there is actually physical tools that can help me converting my escapism and daydreaming into something that I can start sculpting myself. Uh, so all the music that I knew by then, like all those LFO and warp records or whatever, I could start mixing them together potentially. You know, That has given me inspiration. I wasn't making tunes yet. I was uh, focusing on, on the DJing part because it was just such a new world and for me. And nobody in my school was doing that. Nobody knew that, you know, you can DJ. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, also like my own stereotypes about uh, DJing and you know, imagination, what DJing is like, started changing from there, you know, because when you don't come from a dance world or rave world or club world at all, which I wasn't, DJ is just this kind of like, you know, kind of living piece of furniture in the corner that just puts a playlist on. <laughs> That's how everyone thought about it, you know. You think about these cheesy clubs that serves you cheap shot drinks and, and you just don't think about it as something that you can even make a, a good living off later on, you know. Uh, so for me, music uh, was definitely escapism until I met this DJ setup and vinyl setup. And then I realized how much more work and craft the music requires uh, or can require and how much you can choose to, to master it yourself. After that, I think you came You came back to Denmark after Canada. Is that right? Yes. I came back and bought my first controller. So did it feel like the same situation all over again? Like this outsider situation because you had spent some time away and then you were coming back, like even being involved in the music scene. Did you feel like there was this sort of like collective part of it that you weren't a part of? I came back and I felt like I have I had some kind of new purpose with the music that I already knew mm. and I started approaching lots of people in the scene that I wasn't aware of simply because I never really interested myself in uh, in that before uh, before after I came home things started out quite well but then it's it is true there's been a sort of separation in our scene in early days I would say 2015-16 when some of the local crews were just starting that's where I think this kind of outsider feeling kind of came back to me because again I'm I have encountered uh that there is collectives that are doing something with music and I'm interested to do something with music too but I didn't feel necessarily welcome and 
I can't say it was because I was, you know, so much more different. I think it was also because people started being competitive with each other mm. and everyone wanted to, to do really well because now it's become a thing to have a Copenhagen sound and, mm. and, and things started happening for, for some of the artists abroad. And I think there's just been kind of protective vibe around people. I can say straight up that I have encounter, encountered, not harassment, but I definitely felt I was bullied in a way. And there was people who wanted to work with me, but not with them. And then another way around, mm. there is people who wanted to only be as, uh, affiliated with some crews and not with me. And now I look back at it, it's like, well, whatever, you know, it was a part of a, of a growth. But back then, it definitely, it definitely something... Uh, that filled a huge part in me. I was at a point where I wanted to move away from Copenhagen mm. and considering Berlin or London. In a way, this kind of mental clash that, oh, again, I'm encountering this because I'm coming from another country. That's how it felt for me, you know. I felt discouraged, but at the same time, it also gave me like this motivation to drop it all and say, well, I'm just going to do my thing. So, mm. you know, it also did motivate me. But I can say that... You know, when the scene was studying, uh, people were insecure. And I was as well. But I think my insecurity was also built on the fact that I was a foreigner. Mm -hmm. Danish society is slightly xenophobic. Mm -hmm. They were a closed country for a long time. Uh, I think it definitely something I felt. And I, I thought that was actually the main reason. It must have been hard to feel like the thing that you really love and want to do is also the thing that's making you feel like an outsider it must have been a weird balance to really want to do this thing and then also have this thing make you feel alone a lot of the time yeah it's like it was this kind of conflict because you wanted to be part of the scene a local scene and you wanted to do things together but at the same time the, uh, there were situations where I felt like I'm completely on my own with this uh, so it's a constant balance of like wanting to integrate but then keeping it individual because that's how I do things mm. so I I agree with you. But then, you know, as with with any other situation, you can choose either to embrace it and, and like kind of convert it into something amazing, or you can also let it sort of grow into more of a negative spiral and then, you know, eventually get even bigger problems because of because of that. I didn't want to 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 develop the negative spiral. I started getting invitations from uh, Sweden and from Berlin from from like small events and then I released uh, one track that really kind of snowballed from there you know and because I stood alone without belonging to any group anywhere I think that's where it was easier for me to just let it grow in on my terms okay. so in a way I'm grateful that I didn't necessarily end up forming or shaping a collective around me or with me back then because I was a free bird you know I could music anywhere I wanted I didn't have to ask anyone's permission I see it now as a, as a great strength but of course it, it did feel as a lonely lonely thing but now you know uh, things have changed definitely it's nice to be home people ask uh, my view on it there is lots of new generation DJs that you know uh, are keen to listen to my story or to my experiences mm -hmm. and uh, I'm really happy that that things have developed the way they have done now because God knows where I would be today. Or maybe I would not have a solo career. I definitely want to send this message out there that if you feel lonely in your community, uh, there's still ways to make it work. And don't let that discourage you. Mm -hmm. you know? 
Do you feel more welcomed or more accepted now that you've reached a certain level of success? I do, but I think it's not only because of uh, reached a certain level, but also because everyone has grown up simply. We just matured at this point, you know. Also, people's own success makes them relax, uh, being more relaxed. Sure. But I think this is literally the core of everything. When people are at peace themselves, they want to make the out external world around them also more peaceful. Yes. Uh, so I think this whole kind of like healing and also like collective problem like COVID that has affected everyone has actually united people more than ever. You know, people consult with each other. What can we do? Uh, and now I noticed that in Copenhagen, there is uh, promoters uh, uniting in order to speak with the city municipality about better terms for nightlife, right. which is amazing. Yeah. You know, there is like an ongoing dialogue uh, representing all of us and not just, you know, kind of like small cliques that fight against each other, how it used to be, you know? Dealing with all of those issues that you just mentioned, was DJing something that you turned to to cope with all of that? Like, is DJing a place where everything else totally disappears for you? Like I was reading, um, I think it was in your DJ Mag feature, about your experience of finding out that your father passed away in 2018 and that you actually got on stage after to play a pretty big performance. And I guess, obviously, those are special circumstances, but I can imagine that it was almost like a relief to be able to just switch off your thoughts and like completely just disappear into the music and just put your mind towards something else. Yeah, uh, for sure. And uh, many DJs would also tell you that when they DJ and they're in the moment, they don't even feel the physical pain. Let's say you're injured, but at the time you're playing, you don't even feel anything. And for me, it's completely truth. Um, and also the feedback from people and their reaction and their storytelling afterwards, or even before, like somebody sends me a message that they're excited to see me perform at that night. That's such a strong and powerful time frame when you're in it. And it can heal and it can give you like new ideas. It can give you reassurance and reaffirmation. It's definitely a magic process for me. Every time I'm on the DJ booth, I really treat it like something uh, sacred. And, you know, I really want to put the best effort and come with a positive mindset. Um, just like in a way, like some kind of yoga session or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, um, and that's why also sometimes there is gigs where you don't really connect with crowd. And that, that ritual is just not the same as when you connect with the crowd. And then it all becomes this kind of like, exchange of energies, exchange of healing, everything they had on their mind is thrown away, everything I had, everything negative or worrisome I had on my mind is also thrown away. It's really sacred. And that's why when I when I came back to DJing after a long pandemic break, uh, it was just magical. You know? I was like, wow, I don't I don't need anything else. <laughs> you know? So has it always been that way for you? Like we were talking when about when you first got started in DJing. Have you have you always approached it in that same way as like not necessarily a tool, but like a, a space for you to focus your thoughts elsewhere? Like, have you always had that kind of relationship to it? I don't think I, I always had it because in the beginning of DJing and the beginning of, of all these shows started coming in, I think I was focusing a lot on like doing a good job technically. As any new DJ, uh, you would really be concerned about, oh my God, this is a new club, this is a new sound system, how do I cope with that? So I think there was a lot of attention to, to that. Now with a certain experience, uh, the first 10 minutes you know how the room is going to act in terms of sound, in terms of technicality, and, and then there is space to kind of focus on 
on more like enjoyable things, you know, the healing part and, and the connection with the crowd. There is also the third task that I think is very important uh, when DJing is definitely read the room. I mean, it's a classic mm-hmm. task of a DJ and I um, I see it as a part of, of, uh, of this kind of ritual is that you're still there for people and people are having this session with you. And sometimes mm-hmm. you need to let them go to the bar and you need to give them a breathing room and then pick up the energy again. And feeling the energy flow is definitely something I've always been attentive to and that's something that I've got big on, if you can say that. I try to focus on that. I try to always kind of reflect on every set I've done, you know, like, okay, this went this way, what what, what can I do next time in the similar setting? So for me, it's not just uh, escapism and treating my own feelings and other people's feelings, but it's also like, it's a lesson every time, you know, I do take time to reflect. Uh, that's why, for example, when I finish my sets, I need 10 minutes or 20 minutes down, <laughs> preferably in a fairly empty green room if possible. Um, I don't know how to, to compare it. It's a physical need, you know. Some people go straight into being social, drinking, or like go straight to a hotel. But for me, I just need this, this kind of like little um, a time out where I don't speak to many people and I'm just having my glass of water and just reflect what just happened, you know. It's important. So what else does DJing help you to let go of? Or like what has been the most surprising way that DJing or music has helped you with this sort of escapism that, we, that we've been talking about? I definitely had this kind of eureka moment with like, this is like, I'm in the right place. Like I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. And I, uh, I used to work with other things and I was good at them. You know, I was actually quite, quite successful with my previous job working with IT and like computer science uh, in government and private companies. I studied that as well. And, and I thought that that's what I wanted to do. But then, you know, at some point, and uh, I was, I was just having a stripe of, really lucky events in a way uh, in my life then I really realized okay that's 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 my call and the career of DJing has also taught me how to learn people right away because uh, there's so many people that want you for wrong reasons you know so it's a bit more serious part of that but still like I don't think I would know so much about humanity but also like personalities if not DJing because it exposed me so, to so many different types of people so in that sense, it must have been like in the sense of, you know, you you rely on it for so many parts of your life. It must have been quite hard for you when you were dealing with your illness. I think it was in 2019 and you had to take a big break from DJing. Um, and also, I'm sure during the pandemic, like what was that challenge like for you not having this outlet? I remember when I was ill, I had a collapsed lung uh, after festival. We still don't know how it happened. Actually, it was a very hectic time for me in terms of I was getting really busy. And I remember I was I was a bit silly back then, to be honest. The biggest concern I had is that I'm not going to get rebooked. Hmm. And I have to say, looking back at it, it's like, what are you thinking about? You need to get well first, your health first. Now I understand it. Again, we talked about maturity, yeah, maturing. In the <laughs> this is exactly like a thing that I, you know, I would say now, but back then I was calling my agent, like, I'm still in the hospital, but how is it looking for the shows? I used to get back. Uh, and now, I mean, uh, coming back to, to DJing now, it, it feels like an old friend that I haven't seen for a long time. And I, I'm really mm. excited to spend some time with them, you know. Of course, there is concerns about what's next, also because the industry has changed a lot within mm. these two years, uh, kind of independently of anything. I mean, everything has become 
very digital, very quick, very TikToky. You know, attention span has shortened even more. I haven't figured out yet myself how I'm gonna uh, cope it. Am I gonna adapt it? Am I gonna go against it? It's actually something I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of figuring out these days. You know, there is many outlets and there is many paths to choose, and I just, I just need to kind of figure out what's next for my own music, for my own output. There is no doubt that what I was doing in, let's say, February 2020. Uh, I don't think it, it works the same way anymore. You know, people want different things. Artists want different things. Uh, management companies require you doing different things today. Mm-hmm. So uh, from a business perspective, I think um, it's, 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 it's challenging time, but it's also extremely interesting. Things are very dynamic now. And uh, the only thing that I would wish for that people actually went a bit more, as I said, into depth, like we had time to do in pandemic, instead of just skimming through things, you know. Mm -hmm. Just to go back to something that you said at the beginning of your answer about worrying about whether or not you're going to get booked again after your illness, I think because of all the benefits that you get from music and also because it's something that you love, it makes it hard to see when you actually need a break. Like it's the same thing for me for me with work because work is such a good thing, quote unquote. It's hard for me to know that I need to slow down sometimes. So yeah, how has it been for you to like accept your own need to slow down? And You know, the the the, the worrying part and the anxious part is not going to really help anything. Mm-hmm. It's all about like looking what you have and how you can how you can uh, move on from what you have now and appreciate also the strong fundament that's already there mm-hmm. uh, and the two years that we had this break uh, it's beneficial because now you know uh, I've had a chance to go into depth with things now I know how to produce better maybe because I've learned more on that during that time you know, I think um we just need to take this as a as a good um learning curve if possible of course everyone has reacted very differently on it you mentioned production i know that's not necessarily your focus but does that also feel like escapism in the same way that djing does for you or is that more work i think it used to be more of escapism and now i see it a bit more as work but also because uh i just want to be technically better Mm. Uh, i think that's where i'm at so it's both like an element of curiosity uh, but also like a thrill to become better you know it is still an artistic output and it's still very uh, very much about my creative ideas and it can take years months or even just one day and then I have a full EP it really depends on my inspiration but I do I have uh, I have set some goals like I want to learn certain gear uh, you know, I want to start uh, implementing new sounds in my next production because I think it's time. It's naturally evol- evolving for me as an artist. Uh, but also, I do feel like the current music landscape has also become more advanced in a way. You know, there is definitely a huge wave of new uh, of new generation producers that do sound great. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is advanced music, and in a way, it does inspire me and motivates me to like you know step up my game as well. Mm-hmm. So there is this kind of like motivational element to it. I think it's important, like it's important for for your own development, but also like for perspective in industry. Production is a is a bit of a undefined kind of gray zone for me. Uh, today I'm saying this, maybe in a year you see me having three albums. Uh, it's really a bit of a undefined and unpredictable uh, thing. I think DJing is a bit more stable and a bit more. Uh, um, 
yeah, uh, something kind of like technical uh, thing for me. You know? Earlier you talked about how you are hoping that people come and listen to your sets and feel that same escapism as you do and that you have to kind of try and construct something that it, that lets them do that, you know, give them space to go to the bar if they need to or give them a break if they need to. But are you also thinking about that when you're making music? Like, are you cons- designing music with that kind of like release in mind for people that listen to your music? Yeah, I have like different folders. I would say like this is more of a listening experience mm-hmm. and this is more of a dance floor and I'm definitely thinking a lot about the perception uh, of the music I'm making um, and my last uh, EP called Volshebne which means magical uh, for me it was really important that the listener gets this kind of this kind of like <gasps> moment you know like it has some very tender and some uh, rich synth and that was my entire idea that they that that what I felt when I was making this music that that they would too for me it's really important that my idea is translated as much as possible and that's why I would call the track something that straight up identify the emo- emotion or the feeling or the vibe mm-hmm. you can call it that I want them to experience mm-hmm. for sure uh, I think a lot about perception but then again like I also want my listener to to completely re to co- completely interpret it the way they they think is comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. But my last one was definitely an aim uh, to create this kind of soft and and warm uh, atmospheric uh, listening experience. That that's what uh, Volshevna was about. And then we had four remixes with completely different artists. We had Question Mark, Lux Laser. Uh, Katama and controls and like all four completely different artists and that's where I gave like an outlet to to play with um, with different energies and dynamics from the same uh, EP. Mm-hmm. So I think it was to be honest. I think it was one of the most creative kind of uh, releases f- for myself because that's where I both wanted to give my own uh, very particular idea but also like leave it to completely different artists to reinterpret it. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about kind of giving giving this very specific moment to people when they're listening. Would you say that that's like the ultimate goal of when people come out to your performances is to is to give them this kind of like big moment that you have that you have in your mind? You know, uh, I definitely, my usually my goal, uh, even without knowing what room I'm going into or festival, I definitely want some memorable moments, but also for myself, mm-hmm. because it is not just me performing for them, it is us having a moment, as you say. I played a very famous by now party, uh, Sunday's party called Unfold mm-hmm. at uh, London, London Club Fold. Uh, and it's unannounced daytime Sunday parties. The memorable moment there was uh, playing and closing my set with a tattoo, uh, Russian version. Uh, <laughs> they're not going to get us, also because I'm Russian. Uh, you know, it's from the early 2000s, which is super trendy. Tattoo, and then, you know, also like in my native mother tongue. So, you know, it is kind of like, it is kind of funny, but it's also super meaningful because mm-hmm. the song is really strong. It's about queer uh, women escaping uh, the reality they, they're in. Back then, it was a big revolutionary track. Mm-hmm. Like, but, you know, I was in 2000 Russia. I was living there. So I remember the, the impact that song had. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? This moment, it, it was. It, 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 I'm just going to bring it to the dance floor. And people completely, they supported it and they... They were so up for it. And I remember there was like different uh, social media tags, like, oh, Anastasia closed with this tattoo song. And that was like the moment that you can bring and DJ 
in DJ set. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to start playing different, like half cringe tracks from the thousands, <laughs> even though it's what, it, that's what's been happening a lot as well. But, but I think if you have something that you have your own connection to, you know, like a certain track that you maybe were raised with or something happened during a certain time, you know, with this track, um, and if you can bring that connection and this celebration to the dance floor, I think that's that's where you really create a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, for some other DJs, for example, I know it's a lot about the te- technicality, yeah. but say they, they mix like three decks uh, with some nice shifts and some kind of like percussions crossing each other in a very you know elegant way. You can do that, and I do that too. But I think one of the biggest moments is where when people recognize something they haven't heard for a long mm-hmm. time, they have a certain uh, connection and love uh to that uh, to that track and that's where the moment really happens mm-hmm. you know is that what you're most looking forward to about clubs opening back up is like not only making that transportive moment for the crowd but also for yourself like this moment that just takes you out of everything else a very escapist moment um is that what you're most looking forward to in terms of clubs opening back up I am, but um, just to sort of like balance it out and say, of course, there's moments I'm looking forward to, but I also don't want to design them in my head too much in advance mm-hmm. because every like we can't predict the beautiful moments. And I think that's exactly where the beauty of, of these moments is lying, is that we don't know um, when it will happen. I think what I'm looking most forward to is going back into playing with open mind with open mind uh with ideas what i can do at this dj gig particularly dj gig and also uh keeping in mind that people haven't been out uh for a long time so being too hard on yourself is not going to really help you but keep in mind that people haven't danced and they are excited to see all sorts of djs you know you know a new wave uh, veterans of the scene local djs uh djs who have never been out touring yet so the chances of a good gig are very high mm-hmm. at the moment. And I think this kind of open mind, mindset, positive mindset and uh, professionalism is, is what I'm looking forward to to practicing. I'm excited to get back more matured uh, with, with a better kind of idea of what I have been doing before and what I can do now. You've been listening to Anastasia Christensen for AIR episode 45. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of the month, so check back in June for another episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore airpodcast or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash airpodcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.